Um, going on from last week, now you remember that uh, there were these, those hard words that finished off last week's sermon, uh, last week's reading. Uh, um, you know, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is, is fit for the kingdom of God. Um, leave the dead to bury their own dead. It's sort of pretty, pretty uh, hard stuff. And so straight after this, Jesus appoints 72 uh, others to go out and, and uh, prepare the way. Because remember that everything that happens from now on in Luke's Gospel is kind of governed by um, verse 51 of chapter 9. That, that's kind of the turning point of the Gospel of Luke where, uh, where it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. So, so this is before that he's been wandering around Galilee and those sort of areas and, <clears throat> and preaching and healing. But now uh, the time has come for him to set out for Jerusalem where he's going to die. And, and so all this stuff that's happening now needs to be seen in the light of that. And that's why we, we, uh, we read in today's reading that where, where he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. This is not a, an instruction book for mission, this part of, uh, of Luke's Gospel. Um, if, you, if you're planning on starting a, a mission somewhere, uh, you know, either this country or somewhere else, this is not how you do it. Um, and we know that because in chapter 22, later on, he, he says more or less exactly the opposite. He, he, he reminds them of when he, he said this not to take things, and then he says, but now, now it's different. Um, from now on, things will be different. And he, and he says, now if you have a purse, take it with you. If you have a bag, take it with you. If you have a sword even, take that with you. So, so don't read into this that this is, you know, that if you want to go off on a mission trip and you don't take anything with you, that's, this is kind of special, uh, special circumstances that's happening after verse 51 of chapter 9. He sends out 72... Um, if, if you look at the, in the margin of the NIV, it says that some of the older manuscripts say 70 instead of 72. And a lot of commentators believe that this is a highly symbolic number. I mean, there was that many people that Jesus sent out, but, but he deliberately chose that number because it's of its symbolism relating back to, to chapter 10 of Genesis. Um, it, 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 this is the time of just after the flood. And chapter 10 of Genesis lifts, lists the descendants of Noah and his wife. And, of course, from, from them, everybody who lives in the world now is descended. And uh, in the, Greek, in the uh, Greek manuscript of the Old Testament, there's 72 descendants of Noah. And in the Hebrew manuscript, there's 70. So the, the Greek one was lit, written later, and they obviously remembered a couple more that the Hebrew writers didn't, didn't bother to put in. So either 70 or 72, so the symbolism is this is a, a mission to the nations, to everyone, not just, not just to the Jew. And he says, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. It's kind of not what I would expect of Jesus to say. You know, I would have expected him to say, you go, you go and do it. But he doesn't. He says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. I hope you're doing that for the, for the sake of the gospel in this area. 
you know, not just not just a quick prayer now and then when you're driving down the road, but deliberate, heartfelt, fervent prayer to God to 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 raise up His people in this area, to bring the gospel, to change hearts, and to do great things among us. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I'm sending you out as a, a lamb, as lambs among wolves. We're kind of used to hearing that, but when you think about it, lambs among wolves, there's going to be danger. The gospel, and gospel work is never easy. It's never easy. And there's a sense of helplessness because how can a lamb compete with a wolf? They're just not in the, not even in the race. And so it implies this great dependence on God because without God's help and without his protection and defence and, and, and encouragement and all those things, you're just not going to survive in, in gospel work. A church will not survive. And so he says, don't, in this instance, don't take any equipment with you. Don't greet anyone uh, because there's this sense of urgency. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. If a man, of, um, when you enter a house, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. God, God's gifts are freely given, but they're not forced on people. And if a man will not have peace, then he will not have it, if he doesn't want it. The worker deserves his wages. The gospel worker should never feel guilty about accepting pay from the people of God. Um, it is important work. In fact, there's a sense that the rest of us who, who work at other jobs and give to gospel work, really the only importance our work has is to earn money for gospel work. Um, I mean, you know, of course our, our work has other importance as well, but in, in terms of the kingdom... That is really its only purpose, is so we will have money to support gospel work. In this instance, Jesus says, don't move around, uh, verse 7. I mean, there's just this sense of urgency all the time. This is, this is part of the mission of, of heading for Jerusalem. And eat what is put before you. It, it's very likely that Jesus was, going, uh, was sending them through Gentile towns. Uh, which would have been a pretty radical thing to do. And so they, they had to eat what was put before them, not worry about whether it's kosher or not. Um, this, is, this is the way it's going to be from now on, because life is more than food and drink. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom has come near. <coughs> Healings, are, they have a purpose, and the purpose isn't to heal people. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a by-product, a, a sort of secondary benefit of, of Jesus' healing. The purpose is to show what the kingdom of God is like because in the fulfilled kingdom there will be no sickness and no death and no pain. And so this Jesus was like a, a kind of a, I don't know, I like to think of it as a kind of a bubble moving around in, in 2,000 years ago in the Middle East and everywhere he went. The kingdom went and there was no sickness and no disease wherever he went because he, he was showing what it's going to be like. That's what it will be like. Verse 10, whenever you enter a town and, and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. 
nevertheless know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. There was this Jewish tradition that if they were going from one place to another and they had to go through a Gentile town, uh, that the only part of them that actually touched anything of the town was their feet. And, and because the entire Gentile town was unclean, they would wipe off this, the dust from their feet after they'd been through the town. And so effectively, if people reject the gospel, then they become like an unclean town. And, uh, and so Jesus is saying, wipe off the dust from your feet. But, but despite their rejection, the kingdom is still there, whether they like it or not. The kingdom has still come through their town. And there will be dire and, and terrible consequences for, for, the, for this rejection of the gospel. Um, especially when they've been faced with this, <coughs> this obvious evidence of God at work, of the healings of that. Um, Tyre and Sidon, those two towns on the coast, they weren't, they weren't Jewish towns, they were Gentile towns. And they get mentioned actually in, uh, in Isaiah 23 as, uh, as, as uh, God um, uh, condemns them then for what they were doing. But Jesus actually says here that it would be better to be there than in the towns where he has done miracles. He didn't do any miracles in Tyre and Sidon. They didn't get to see it. But other towns did. They saw the plain working of God and yet they rejected the gospel. Uh, Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. Chorazin and Bethsaida, we don't actually, the, gospel, the gospels don't tell us anything about Jesus doing any miracles in those two towns. And yet obviously he did. Because this is saying, if, if people in other towns had seen what they'd seen, they would have repented. So it just shows us that the, the, the Bible, although it tells us absolutely everything that we need to know, it doesn't tell us everything we could know. And, and, and John's Gospel, it says that, there are, that Jesus, if everything that he'd done was written down, the world wouldn't contain the books. And, and so just the, the miracles that are, are mentioned in... in in scripture only a tiny portion of what Jesus actually did and uh, yeah, everywhere he went he took this like I said this cloud of this bubble of, of the kingdom that was doing amazing things Capernaum, Chorazin and Bethsaida woe to them because they saw these great things and yet rejected it and woe to western countries who've had the, the gospel lavished on them compared to so many other countries but have now largely rejected it. it you, we could say that it will be more tolerable in Pyongyang than in Sydney or Adelaide on the Day of Judgment because they don't, if they hear the gospel, it's only very few, very few numbers. It's so difficult and so dangerous for them to hear it. You remember that Jesus said once that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And we often perhaps wonder what that means. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, in the context that he said it, it was, it was the Pharisees rejecting the gospel and ascribing to demons the work of the Holy Spirit. So, so Jesus was doing these amazing healings. He was casting out demons. And, and yet they put it down to, they said it must be because he's got a demon. That, that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's the plain, obvious work of God is rejected and described to demons. Verse 16, the one who hears you 
here's me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. We shouldn't become dispirited or um, downhearted when our gospel work fails, when it doesn't appear to have any results. Uh, it's not us who's being rejected. You remember the account in, in uh, 1 Samuel where the people came and asked, told Samuel that we want a king. And Samuel was pretty downhearted about that because effectively he was the ruler of Israel at that time. And they'd rejected him and wanted a king. And God said to him, don't be downhearted about it. It's not you they're rejecting, it's me. And so the 72, they come back and they're on top of the world. This is, how wonderful that would have been to just see all these things of God happening and happening through you. You know, you're going healing and casting out demons, see God's power at work. How wonderful that would have been. So, of course, they were on top of the world. Um, but, that, but he says that's not what is important. Jesus said that's not... That, yeah, it's great. It's great that all this happened, but that's not what is important. What's important is that your name is written in heaven. And, and the reverse is true too. If, if they'd gone out and nothing had happened, it still didn't matter. Their names were written in heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Revelation 12 says this, And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. That great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, and his angels with them, with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night before God, he has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word, word of their testament. So you can see that this stuff that's going on in this mission of the 72. They're walking around Galilee and Judea, um, healing people, casting out demons. And to an outside observer, that's probably what it, it looks like. But actually, there are consequences not only on earth, but in heaven as well. Things are happening in heaven. Satan has been defeated and, and, and he's been thrown down to earth. He's still on earth. Uh, and he has some power here, but he's thrashing around and doing as much damage as he can but take note of, of that reading from Revelation they, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb uh, you know we must not discount Satan's work in this world uh, because he does have some power um, but in the end he is defeated and, and, and he's defeated by the blood of the Lamb and we, we are the the beneficiaries of that. And so we shouldn't be all the time worrying about what Satan's going to do to us because what matters is that our names are written in heaven. Um, so Satan is, is, is still doing damage, but it, he's chained up. He can only do what God allows him to do. It's not the most important thing, the fact that 
people were healed in this mission trip of the 72 and that demons were cast out because the people that were healed will still die and the towns they preached in, the whole earth even, will pass away. <coughs> it is passing away. It is eternal things that matter. Their names are written in heaven. Well, then we come to this, this lovely bit. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I hope you rejoice like that sometimes too when you, you, you see and feel God's work in your life and, uh, and in his church and, and these amazing things happening uh, still. Um, you know, most Christians are nothing in the world's eyes. We're regarded as, as weak and stupid, um, the scum of the earth, as Paul said. I, I happened to hear, um, when I was driving one day, a, a, um, an interview with, oh, I can't think of his name, but he's, he's the guy, you know, Roy and HG. It's Roy. He was being interviewed. And he was brought up in a, a Catholic school. And, uh, and he said to the interviewer, um, you know, I started, when I was in school, I started to read about uh, I started to read some science books and I read about um, how the earth was actually billions of years old and I suddenly realised that creation in six days was absurd. Well, why is it absurd? You know, if there's a God who, who can create the, the incredible life and, and the universe that we see, why is it absurd that he should take six days or more, less than six, or more than six days? Why is that absurd? Surely he can do anything. You know, people are so irrational and stupid about this. They, they don't think things through. They just so desperately want to reject God that, um, that there's not much rationality goes into it. And um, Jesus rejoicing here says that, that this was God's gracious will to reveal this to little children. Um, it, it was his good pleasure, the NIV says, we, we see in Isaiah 6 where, where Isaiah is sent to, the, to, the, to a, an unbelieving people and, uh, and God says, go and speak to them but, but may they be never hearing and never seeing. Um, so this is God's will. If we, if we understand the gospel, if we trust in Jesus, it's only because it is God's good pleasure that we should do so. Um, the message of the cross is foolishness to those are perishing and he starts that prayer off I, I praise you father lord of heaven and earth that's a great way to start your prayers um, I praise you father that most intimate of terms uh, you know we all have fathers who, who they may have tried very hard being, it is father's day today I acknowledge that um, and they may have tried, tried very hard to raise us but they are imperfect they are sinners like us but we have the perfect example of fatherhood in, in our Father in heaven. So I praise you, Father, but then Lord of heaven and earth, this great majesty and power, that's our Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Um, and he has revealed these things to, to little children. Do you remember what it was like to be a little child? Most, some of you do. 
Some of you still are. Um, but <laughs> little children know there is a God. Uh, I don't believe this idea that, that children are born and then come to believe. I'm sure that they believe when they're born and then the world knocks it out of them. Um, certainly the times... God has been reminding me in recent times of, of my childhood and times where I, I, I did trust him and trusted him even more, a lot more than I do now, I think. When I was about... Oh, I don't know, I reckon I was probably about Archie's age, I think. but Yeah, that sort of age. My dad gave me a, a pocket knife and it was a it was a second hand one, but it was quite a flash one. It had a it was one of those with the you know where you could pull out the tweezers and the pokey bit on the end, and I was very proud of it. And, except that I only had it for about two days, and I was riding my bike out through the paddock, and somehow I lost it, you know, somewhere out in this 50 acre paddock, and uh, I spent a bit of time looking for it, but but gave up anyway. I had to come home and confess to dad that I'd lost this great pocket knife that he'd gave, given me, and he. Uh, he had a rummage around in his drawer and he found another one, uh, an older one, not as good, wasn't as flat. But it still had a, knife, a blade that really cut, you know. It was a proper knife. And so he gave me that one. And then I, that afternoon after school, I, I went out to, with seeding time, I went out and rode on the back of the combine with Dad and used my pocket knife to cut the strings on the bag and help him tip, it, tip the uh, bags into the combine. And somehow I put it down on the combine and it must have fallen off and I lost that one too. And, um, and, but, you know, I had a strong faith at that age and I thought to myself, well, God knows where it is. And so the next night after school I said, God, I'm going to look for my, for, for my pocket knife. I want to find it. So I went out to where, where we'd been seeding and, and I more or less walked straight onto it. And there it was. And, you know, in this big ploughed up paddock. And I was so overjoyed. Because uh, it was a, it was a, it was a great builder of faith for a small child. But then I was riding my bike back home, and I found the other one. <laughs> and you know, it was uh, it wasn't just a little thing that God did. It was it was just he he blessed me. Do you remember when? Does anyone else remember their childhood? And they was like, oh, this is what mine was like. The doubt comes from living in the world, I think. Um, but those who believe and trust become like little children again. And like little children, we're of no importance to the world. And yet it is the Father's good pleasure, his good pleasure to reveal himself to his little children. It's all him and not us. Um, no one knows the Father uh, uh, unless the Son reveals him. This is like a bit out of John's Gospel, isn't it? No one knows the Father unless the Son reveals him. Uh, you cannot know God. You just can't do it unless Jesus shows him to us. And the old question, what is God like, that, that, so, that children like to ask? Well, look at Jesus. That's what God's like. That's how we know him. Um, he shows us what God is like. John's Gospel says, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then he turns to his disciples and says, it says he says it, says it privately, and says, um, many kings and prophets longed to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. What a privileged position we are in. Um, we, can, we can see what God is like. 
through the New Testament by reading it. And not just the Gospels. Uh, remember that Jesus himself wrote nothing. Um, it, it's all, um, the, 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 it was all written by his followers. And so by reading that, we can see what God is like because we can see Jesus. Uh, I mean, the Old Testament revealed Jesus too, but it was like, for the prophets and the kings, it was like looking through a glass darkly. And, uh, and many of them longed to see the things that we can see so easily and hear the things that we can hear. We can see it. We can hear it. And it's ours for the taking. And nothing that we can see or hear is more important than this. I guess the thought I want to leave you with today is um, your names are written in heaven. That's, uh, you know, what, whatever in the context of today's reading it was when great things were happen, happening. They were seeing these amazing things. But that wasn't important. What was important was their names were written in heaven. But if, as we go about our lives, inevitably we're going to have challenges and problems. Um, but ultimately, they don't matter. What matters is, is your name written in heaven? And if you don't know if your name is written in heaven, then, then cry out to God and say, show me. Give me, a, give me a testimony that I can share with the church. God has promised that anyone who comes to him, he'll in no way cast out. He'll answer their prayers. So go home with that thought in mind, bear it in mind in, as we go through life's highs and lows, your names are written in heaven.